Amen, amen. So good to see all of you here this morning. First Sunday, month of November. Hope you enjoyed your extra hour's sleep. And um, just taking a look at all of you here. So good to see all of you here this morning. So if you are new with us, we are going through, we've been going through a series looking at the Apostle Paul's writing uh, to the church in Corinth. And we're in chapter 14. Uh, and we're going to be uh, going over a very challenging, very challenging uh, topic in the life of the church back then, maybe not so now. And so if chapter 13 is considered as one of the most recognizable chapter in the, in the first Corinthians, by the way, uh, the, the word that we all know from first Corinthians 13 begins with letter L. What is that word? Love, right? It's often read at weddings. Chapter 14 is considered as one of the most highly debated chapter in 14 because the Apostle Paul is going to talk about the use and abuse of the spiritual gift of tongues and prophecy. So if you came here this morning wanting to hear on the teachings of tongues and prophecy, you came on the right Sunday. We're so glad you're here this morning. We have people from all walks of life here, from different church traditions and backgrounds and denominations. We have people also with very limited church understanding. So in a moment, I'm going to be defining some terms. But let me just go ahead and say this. My guess is that one-third of you have either heard a teaching on gifts of tongues and prophecy, or you may even practice it. The other third of you have not heard a teaching on tongues and prophecy. You don't know too much about it. And the other third of you, you think that uh, speaking in tongues and prophecy is reserved for the Pentecostals and the Charismatics, not the Presbyterian types. But the beautiful thing about Holland Park Presbyterian Church as Presbyterians is that in our midst, I know that we have Presbycostals and Charismatians among us. And I just, I just love how Paul sets up this particular portion of his letter because it's a continuum that begins in chapter 12 and 13 and 14. In one block, in chapter 12, he talks about the gift of spiritual gifts, comes from the Holy Spirit. We're to practice it in love, chapter 13. We come to chapter 14. He's going to address the use or misuse of spiritual gifts. And, 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 here's, and, and what he's trying to do is point out the fact that there were some, some major dysfunctions going on with the Corinthian church because, because the Corinthians were elevating one particular uh, spiritual gift, the gift of speaking in tongues. It's the point where they're saying that, hey, if you don't speak in tongues, that you're not an elite Christian. You're not a spiritual person if you don't speak in tongues like us. It's what uh, there's a pastor by the name of Earl Palmer. It's what he calls uh, the Corinthian fascination. They were fascinated by the spiritual reality of this beautiful, mystical, heavenly language of prayer. It's called speaking in tongues. And again, I understand that some of us have a limited understanding of prophecy in tongues, so I'm going to define that in a moment. But first, uh, look at verse 1 in chapter 14 in the First Corinthians by the way, I'm not going to be reading the entire chapter 14 this morning. I will invite you to do that on your own this afternoon or this evening. I'm going to be selecting some key verses so we could see the thread of how Paul is speaking to his church, now to us. And I'm going to be a little bit more content-driven this morning. So there's going to be a little bit more teaching this morning. So verse 1 goes like this. Pursue love 
and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So if you're taking notes, this is the summary statement of chapter 14. Paul's going to drive this point over and over again, saying that the purpose of spiritual gifts, including gift of tongues and prophecy, is to be done out of love. It's to build up the body of Christ in love. And another way that, and the way that he's going to talk about tongues and prophecy throughout chapter 14 is by going back and forth and back and forth and comparing and contrasting, he weaves in these two particular gifts. So let me highlight and give you a sketch of, of how he's going to talk about gift of tongues and prophecy, beginning in verse four. It goes like this. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies built up the church. Do you see how he goes back and forth? Verse five. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Verse six. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Again, he's going back and forth. Verse 19. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now let us define the terms. What is prophecy? You know, I think when we hear the word prophet or prophecy, it comes with lots of baggage uh, in, in the current context because we think of that person standing in a corner with a sign and that person is talking about the end of the world. And there's, there's a connotation of, of weirdness and goofiness within evangelical Christianity when it comes to, to being a, the prophet or prophecy. So the, at the most fundamental level, the word prophecy as used as a noun, means to declare the message of God. Means to declare the message of God. So in a verb form, to prophesy means to, to, to declare the message of God to the, or the truth of God to someone or to a group of people. You're declaring, you're speaking out God's word to other people. And the backdrop to God's people desiring or wanting to speak uh, this, this word of prophecy dates back to prophet Joel, in chapter 2, verse 28, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. And listen to what prophet Joel says. He hears, he's going to speak in first person. He's hearing from the Lord. God is speaking through prophet Joel, and this is what he says. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. So here's prophet Joel. He's looking into the horizon, into the future. And what does he see? He sees some people prophesying. No, not some people. Did you hear that? All people, all people prophesying. Sons and daughters speaking God's word. And you may say, well, Jay, what's the big deal about this? Well, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, before Jesus not every, not every followers of God experienced the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God only came, the Spirit of Yahweh only came to people, special kinds of people, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. So, so we fast forward, okay? So we fast forward hundreds of years later to Acts chapter 2, which is in the, which is in the New Testament. So here's the setting. Jesus lived, died, Rose again, 40 days later, he appears, we call this post-resurrection appearance, 
120 people were scattered. They were actually not scattered. They were gathered, afraid about what's about to happen to their lives, right? Jesus comes. He speaks. The day of Pentecost, all kinds of people are gathering from different parts of the world, speaking different languages in Jerusalem. And this is what we hear in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there's a word that we don't use often, utterance, spoken voice, utterance, this beautiful, mysterious, heavenly language. Now, question, how many of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, according to verse 4? All people, that's right, all people. And here's the point. Joel's prophecy in the Old Testament hundreds of years before comes in real time in real people in the real streets of Jerusalem to all people, sons and daughters, all people, all Christ followers receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And from this point on, people, Christians, that's you and me, we have all spiritual gifts to help build up the body of Christ. And Paul says there are at least two purposes of, of prophecy, two purposes, two direct, distinct purposes for prophesying. First is to build up the church, verses three and four, and second, to challenge the mind of unbelievers, to strengthen and to challenge, to, com- to comfort, comfort and to convict. So look at verses 24 and 25. Paul writes, this is 1 Corinthians, but if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Prophecy, the word, God's word has a power to convict people where people will fall on their face and say, wow, you are who you said you are. You are, you are God. So you see, the spiritual gift of prophecy has a way of inviting both Christians and non-Christians back to God. And this is a really important point about prophecy. Prophecy has a power to invite people back to God, to restore their relationship to God. Now, scholars say there are at least two different modes or expressions of prophecy. Now, I looked at, I looked at people like Wayne Grudem, N.T. Wright, and Richard Hayes, who was what my, uh, my New Testament uh, professor, uh, my seminary professor, to these people for some definitions. Two different expressions. First one is called foretelling. Foretelling. Now, foretelling is what we often think of when we think of the word prophecy, predicting the future, right? Uh, re- God's will being revealed about the future. So in the, in the days of Old Testament, Prophets with capital P, people like Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, Amos, and even Moses, right? They would have this prophetic voice that that they could see into the future and reveal God's word. The second form of prophecy is called forthtelling, forthtelling. And forthtelling involves declaring God's word like teaching and preaching. Forthtelling does not predict the future but explains the present by bringing in encouragement and comfort to a hurting world. So prophecy is both foretelling and forthtelling. But when I read 1 Corinthians 14, 
I see Paul talking about prophecy more in terms of forth-telling, right? Forth-telling for God's people to speak in God's word, to help build up the church, to restore people back to himself. All right, all right, let's keep going. Now we're gonna talk about tongues. In the Greek, the word tongues is glossa. Can we say glossa together? Glossa. If you wanna be really like professional Christian, you have to have that guttural glossa. Means glossary. It's where we get the word glossary. Languages, voices. And here are some working definition and ground rules for the gift of tongues. First, speaking in tongues is a form of communication to God. First Corinthians verse two says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. This is very important. When you're speaking in tongues, you're not speaking to one another, you're speaking to God. It is an intimate, prayerful language. Number two, the purpose of speaking in tongues is for personal edification. We read a verse earlier where Paul is comparing and contrasting, saying prophecy is for the body of Christ, but for speaking in tongues is for personal growth. That's really important for personal growth. And third, if one were to pray in tongues in public worship, we are advised to have an interpreter. Listen to verses 27 and 28. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, let someone interpret. Now, let me pause here and just say this. As I'm reading chapter 14, I'm kind of scratch, scratching my head saying, okay, if, if speaking in tongues is this beautiful expression to God, if it, it's a language of prayer and we're encouraged to pray personally to God, then what was the controversy? Why was this such a big deal? Now, I get it. I know some people are saying that you have to speak in spiritual tongues to be an elite Christian. That's wrong. But besides that, what was the real issue here? And what Paul brings out in this section is this. He says, here's the deal. There was incredible chaos and confusion taking place in the church in Corinth, all kinds of dysfunction because they were all trying to speak in tongues. Imagine like, you know that like hip hop rap battle, right? Or spoken words. Imagine all people, all everyone's speaking all at the same time. People have no clue what they're saying. That's what's happening. There's no encouragement. There's no edifying of the body. And Paul uses three different analogies to talk about this kind of confusion. That is very dangerous to the church. Let me just highlight one from verses eight and nine. He uses a music analogy. He writes, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? for you will be speaking into the air. So I want you to imagine that you are in first century and you are on the battlefield. You are with uh, thousands of other men and women and you're about to go into a battle, okay? That's, that's the scene, right? You, there's no PA system, there's no AV sound system here. There's no AirPods, you cannot hear a commander, right? How do you, how do you know or what direction to go? Well, you're, you're listening for the sound of the trumpet or bugle, right? So if, as, as part of my research, I am going to let you hear a couple of different sounds and tunes of two different uh, sounds of bugle. You ready for this? You ready? Here we go. The first one. Listen. What do we say? Charge! We all know, right? 
We all know this. Charge. Ah, let's look at the second one. Hey, we have a, I see a West Point grad. What is that for? Take the bag. It's called, it's, called, it's, called, it's called retreat. That's right. That's exactly right. Taking back rest. Here's the deal. This so our, our inventory. We have, we've actually used these tunes for in, in the battlefield, right? There, were, there, were, there was a time in our period we did that. Here's what Paul is saying. By the way, is it important for, for, for people to know when to move forward or go backward in a war setting? Absolutely. It's life or death. It's life or death. And Paul is saying... The abuse of spiritual tongues is dangerous. It is so dangerous to the church. That's what he was trying to point out because people don't understand. That's why in verse 33, this is what he writes. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Then in verse 40, he writes, but all things, all things should be done decently and in order. And this is the apex for Presbyterian worship. We crave decency and in order. We know when the song starts, then we have a prayer and prayer confession, then a slower song, then we have more prayers and Lord's Prayer. And this is who we are as Presbyterian. This is God's gift. Paul is, is a Presbyterian. So now, now what comes next uh, is like Paul dropping a bomb on the Corinthians. Because you can imagine these these young Corinthian believers, I mean, they're just speaking in tongues. They're having fun. They're, they have this incredible nearness and intimacy with God. And they're probably thinking, gosh, who is this guy, Paul? Man, I know, we know he's an apostle. We know he's a big deal, but he's got his underwear too tight. He's so rigid. He's so, you know, like so formal. And we, we know how to, man, we are spiritual people. You, Paul, you don't know, you don't know what you're doing. And listen to what Paul says in verse 18. He goes, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Hello, Z snap, right? Fire, just the mic drop moment. And, and Paul is saying, hey man, man, you don't know who, you know who I am? I am the apostle Paul. And, and here's the deal, Paul says in verse 19, in church, in church settings, I would rather speak five words that make sense to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. 10,000, by the way, in a numerical sense, in mathematical sense, in the ancient Greek, was considered as the highest number. That's the word where we get myriad, 10,000, myriad, infinite. And Paul says, I'd rather uh, speak five words that make sense than infinite words that don't make sense to one another because it does not build up the church. Now, here we are, 2,000 plus years later, what do we do as followers of God with this text? What are some practical applications? Let me just highlight three for you here. First, build up the church. Paul is envisioning a community of people where everyone, everyone participates and pitches in to build up the body of Christ. All people, not just some people, not just adults, kids, children, students, all people are empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve the church. When I read the scriptures, I don't see God separating people based on their giftings. 
I don't see God saying, okay, you have the gift of teaching, so you go on this side. You have the gift of serving, you go on this side. You have compassion, you go on that side. No, 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 I don't see that. It's all intermixed together. And, and the problem with sometimes as churches and Christians is that we like to box ourselves. You know, we say things like, you know, I don't have a gift of teaching, so I don't know how to teach our third graders. Or, you know, I don't think I have a gift of mercy and compassion, so I, don't, I mean, I don't know how to really care for people. That's not how God operates, right? Why? Because Acts 2 occurred. Prophet Joel 2.28 occurred. We all have, all of us have as Christ followers, this Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit gives us all gifts. All gifts, right? So here's my encouragement to you. Because we know there are needs and uh, unmet needs and opportunities out there. If you see something that needs to be done, I want to I ask you for you to jump into it, even though you think you're not good at it, and allow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to give you the gift to fulfill that duty, right? Pray that God would meet that need, and God will do it. Second, be prophetic. Let's become a prophetic community as Helen Park Presbyterian Church. Not necessarily in terms of predicting the future, but as kinds of people where we're using spoken word, declaring God's word, where we bless one another and cover one another in God's word to, to uplift one another. Look at verse three again. I like the NIV translation. It says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Prophecy strengthens, encourages, and comforts. I believe this normalizes prophecy, doesn't it? Like, let's do a little interaction here. This past year, raise your hand if you have encouraged someone, given hope to someone, or spoken words of affirmation to someone. Will you raise your hand if you did that? Yes, a lot of your hands have come up. Yes, please come down. Um, in the category of prophecy, according to Apostle Paul, you have just prophesied. You are prophets. You're declaring God's truth. You're encouraging the body with your voice. With your voice, you're building up people. We're called to be a prophetic community, right? And, and uh, so how, how do we do this? Here's, a, here's one example. When the Lord impresses upon your heart and your mind a certain name, a person that you know, Right? If, you know how like, you could be working out, you could be driving, washing the dishes, and sometimes you know, God puts like, people's names in your heart. I'm, I'm not talking about like, your old high school sweetheart, but just right, a name from the, someone you know, go, okay, I wonder what God's doing this. I want to encourage you to follow up with that person and check in and to see how that person's doing. Because right? you, just, you just never know how God would use you um, you just don't know why God gives you that name for, 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 that, for that time. And I, would, I want to encourage you to put yourself out here and, and respond to God's prompting. Maybe it's really nothing. Maybe you're just having an imaginative thought. But there's only one way to find out But if, if you do it. And when you do this, by the way, don't be weird in how you do this. Just be normal and just check in. Just check. Don't say weird Christianese type stuff. Don't say, okay, the Lord has given me a word to speak to you. And... Now, now, if you know the other person really well, and if God has impressed upon your heart, you can say that. That's okay. But if it's someone that you don't know too well, just be normal. So um, <laughs> not too long ago, um, I received a prompting from the Holy Spirit, got this impression that I need to touch 
or uh, being in contact with this person, a name started popping into my mind. I really did not know this person too well. Maybe in my lifetime I've spoken maybe twice, twice. So I said, okay, I need to be obedient. So I got my text as a guy. I'm a very short texter, right? Like two sentences at most. I just say, hey, I hope you're doing well. Just checking in to see how everything's going. And because I knew that he did not have my phone number and I had to put my name, this is Jay Lee, right? That's what you do when you don't know someone. Years, not, I'm sorry, not years later, hours later, um, this person, this person um, contacts me back. And he says this, Jay, so good to hear from you. Um, I've checked in, I checked myself into a rehab. I can't shake off this addiction. Uh, I'll call you 10 days later. Will you call me? Like, wow. You know? And you just never know what people are going through. And you just never know how the Holy Spirit will speak to you, how God will give us names. Don't just hold on to it. Take that step of faith and reach out, reach out. And finally, um, practice spiritual gifts out of love. Pursue love. Paul says there's something way, way too greater than the spiritual gifts. It's love. Because he says, this is what he knows. He says, one day, one day, prophecy will cease. It will no longer exist. We no longer need to, to, to receive prophecy. Why? Because in all eternity in heaven, we'll be seeing God face to face. We don't need a prophet. We don't need an intermediary. But we're able to speak to God and hear from God directly. And Paul says that one day, speaking in tongues will cease, will no longer exist. We don't need to pray to God. Why? Because we could converse with Jesus himself in his full presence. And, 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 and all these things, all of the spiritual gifts will be done away with. But Paul says there's one thing that will remain. What is that? That is love. Why? Because God is God of love. And love will win. Love will exist. And Paul is saying, man, the mission of church is to pursue love, to point people to Jesus, point people to the love of Christ. And that's what we are being called to and being invited to as God's people. And this table that we're about to experience today, the Lord's table, is an expression of God's love. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the saints who have gone before us. Thank you for uh, incredible men and women who have shared with us their faith with us. And this morning, we come to this table knowing that you are so good to us and kind, and we want to experience your goodness today. It's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.